Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you are listening to The Reese Show. On the show, we're trying to clarify what a good future looks like. I know we're all a bit sad about late-stage capitalism, and we want to transition to something, but we don't really know what's next. So, on the show, we interview experts about what is emerging, this beautiful future vision that we can all lean into. I hope it gives you a sense of purpose and clarity about the future. If you like the show, you know, feel free to do something about it. (laughs) You can leave us a five-star review. You can tell your friends. You can name your first child Reese. Whatever makes you happy. And if you really dig it, we have an online school called Root, where we help folks understand these root-level systems to find our route forward. We have cohorts of world-class systems thinkers that run every couple of months. So if you're interested in that, check us out at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E dot co. Thanks. Hello, listeners. Today I'm excited to chat with Casper Turkile. Casper is helping build this beautiful world of joyful belonging in the midst of these enormous changes in how we experience community and spirituality. Um, and he's doing this in a variety of different ways. He's the author of this cool book, The Power of Ritual, a ministry innovation fellow at Harvard Divinity School, a co-host of this kind of funny, amazing, very popular podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and also the co-founder of this startup, Sacred Design Lab. Casper, uh, thanks for being on the show and welcome. I'm so glad to be here, Reese. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to dive in. And Casper and I were kind of chatting beforehand, and we were just like, we're just going to nerd out about the future of meaning and the future of spirituality and religion and, and, and hopefully learn from Casper today about how he's thinking about these things. But before we kind of do that, I want to ask you, Casper, like you are into all the spirituality and meaning and religion stuff, but you're also, as far as I could tell from the internet, you're not actually religious. Like how, how does that work? Why, why have you ever thought about, you know, turning to the dark side or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I grew up in England, um, which, you know, is a much more secular country than America. Like 6% of people go to church on a Sunday. So it's a very, very different context. And um, I didn't grow up in a religious family. My parents did, weren't religious. My grandparents weren't religious. Like it was just uh, just far away from me. Like, I honestly thought people who were religious were a little weird. Um, and definitely when I came out in my teens, I was like, okay, religion's either irrelevant or cruel, right? Because of its anti-women, anti-gay, anti-everything stance, at least in the way I experienced it. So I was like, fuck you, religion, honestly. <laughs> so, but the thing that I became more and more interested in, especially as I started my my work at first as a climate activist, I was really involved in, in the young people's movement around the United Nations um, Climate Convention. And um, I started to realize that the way I was trying to solve the problem was kind of by looking at changing policies. And when that didn't work, starting to understand how power and politics works, and then ending up in this place where I was like, but the way in which we're thinking about these questions, the very paradigms through which we understand what we're supposed to be figuring out, that's where the real problem is. And so, you know, is nature a resource for us to use? Or are we part of a living ecosystem inherently implicated in relationship? Uh, Those are two very different starting points to think about fossil fuels, for example. Um, So I started to think more and more about paradigms. And that's when I was like, well, who has tried to do culture change? Who has tried to, to shift the way in which people think about life for millennia well hello it's religion and so (laughs) i came to the divinity school honestly as like a self-described you know like gay atheist 
being like, well, I'm just going to learn about religion and then I'm going to take those little things and I'm going to apply them over here in what I want to do. But what happened to me while I was in dev school was a total reframing of what religion is. So if you ask me, are you religious? On the one hand, do I attend a congregation? No. Do I describe myself as affiliated with a particular denomination? No. So I'm not religious. But on the other hand, I'm like praying every day. I take a Sabbath every week. I have, you know, rich relationships of mentorship and guidance. I have, you know, values that I try and put in action and how I spend money and how I live my life. And do I feel part of something bigger than myself? Yes. So I am religious. You know, I, I essentially think that the category of how we think about religion is no longer fit for purpose. And that's part of my whole work is thinking about, okay, so what next? Yeah, no, that's a great, great overview. And I think that it's funny. I mean, just hearing 6% in England is like, <laughs> wait, what? Like me growing up in America, it's like everybody was religious. You know, everybody goes right. to church or whatever. Um, right. So how do you think about, I mean, it is, I, I do like that reframe on religion as like something that you can kind of, that has these kind of habits and practices and rituals and meaning and whatever. Um, what's the praying that you do every day, by the way? Is it like a gratitude journal? Like I do a gratitude journal every day. Beautiful. Well, so this is one of the other questions is like, how do we describe the very things that we're doing? Because you could describe it in a very secular way. It's like, yeah, I, I go through three things that I'm grateful for at the yeah, end, of exactly. every, every, end of every day. In my app. But listen, yeah, on your app, exactly. Or like some couples will do it before they go to sleep with their partner, right? Like there's so many ways in which that happens. And then if you look at the tradition, and I'm, I'm most familiar with the Jewish and the Christian traditions, like one of the best ways of describing prayer is gratitude. Like Meister Eckhart, this wonderful mystic of the of the medieval era in, in, in Europe, describes if the only words you ever say uh, in prayer are thank you, it would be enough. And so uh, for me, so much of, of, of what we have to figure out is what's the right way to talk about these things. So for me, my, my, my practice, and it's changed since COVID, honestly, but like I live in an apartment building in Brooklyn at the end of every day. I have a friend who, who I do this with. She texts me just a little bit of a poetry or some some beautiful couple of lines of text. And I go to the top of the roof and I take 10 kind of conscious breaths as I look out over the city and I say these words aloud. And I, I, I've ended up saying the Lord's Prayer just because that's the one I learned in, in school, in middle school, because I have to say it every day. Um, so I, I, but I changed the first word cause it's like, you know, our father who art in heaven is the classic Christian uh, language, but I, I, I always try and find a new word for God. So I might be like, Oh, great tree who art in heaven. Or like if there was a, in the poem, there was something about singing. I'm like, Oh, great song. Mm -hmm. So there's, there, there's a creativity in naming God, which in itself is a beautiful tradition <laughs> of yeah. finding different words for for the divine. So anyway, that's that's a little insight into what that looks like. <laughs> I love that. That's a that's that's a. It's cool to hear different people's kind of you know morning rituals or end of the day rituals. That's that sounds yeah. like a really nice one. Something though that I'm hearing from you as you talk about your own, um, you're like, hey, no, I am kind of religious in these ways. You know, you, um, something that I think a lot of folks might push back, or even I kind of think yeah. about, where I'm like, okay, what's the future of of religion and, and spirituality in society? It's like you're doing all these things, but you're doing them. There's no like organized institution or like you know you, you're doing some community stuff but like yes. how do you think about community and networks and and that kind of stuff like playing a role here it's the the major difference in how you know at, at least in in kind of popular language we differentiate between spirituality and religion is that spirituality is a personal endeavor and religion is a corporate one, right? It's one that we do communally. And I think there's some value in thinking about that difference. I also think it's wholly insufficient to, to mm -hmm. understand. Uh, uh, and so um, 
what I want to say is that anything that we do just by ourselves, I find, uh, you know, it can be a great first step. And that's, that's often as more of us who are outside of religious institutions are trying to grapple with our interest in these questions, right? We're gonna we're gonna try something on our own first. That whether it's a Headspace app, whether it's buying a beautiful crystal, or you're laying tarot cards, whatever it is, um, that that absolutely makes sense. But if it only stays there, I think it can be quite dangerous because we can either get in our own heads that wow, we've really found the thing and it's the best, and like no one else, no one else's opinion matters. Or frankly, and this one worries me more, is that we stay in a sense that we are uniquely bad. This is one of the most beautiful things I think about religious um, worship, especially in, in, in a frame of confession, is that we remember that everyone else is shitty too, uh, right? Like <laughs> there's a sense of like, yeah, we've all fallen short of who we want to be in one way or another, and that it's a relief to remember we're not the only one. So I really want to affirm your instinct of looking for something that's more communal. I think one of the challenges is that our imagination for the future of religious life is very much shaped by a congregational model, right? This idea that we gather once a week and you know, 100 plus people in, a, in the same building. And that I think is culturally no longer attractive in the way that it was. It doesn't have the same viability or fin frankly financial viability um, as it used to. Our work lives are different. Our, our family lives are different. There's, there's a different structure that needs to hold us. So one of the things I'm most passionate about is being part of a small group of people mm -hmm. who rigorously come together to do that kind of confession and a mutual support and accountability on a regular uh, rhythm. So whether it's once a week or once a month, being part of a small group where you can really be honest about what you're longing for, what you're struggling with, what you need help with, it, it, I think is is one way in which we can think about the structure of religious life because it has that communality, but it also fits into the kind of lives that more and more of us are living today. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think, I think that yeah, doing something yourself—that's like how it starts. And then it reminds me too of like, you know, just wanting to connect with others. And I'm reminded of like uh, some I've, I've hiked a long trail, this Colorado Trail, 500 miles. And I thought it was going to be like a connection wow. to nature, but all of yeah. that, but that and that was true. But it really was. You know, at the, the, I made this like coffee table book about it and like I put a little equation because I'm kind of mathy and it was like people in nature is greater than people is greater yes. than nature. Where it's like, yes. it's all about the people side, you know? And I just, I came in with the wrong expectation. Um, do you think though that the, I mean, thinking, so I like what you're saying about the congregation, like the small mall or like big congregation might not work anymore. You know, like we don't right. have to be in these big churches. I kind of, one way that I might think about it is like, as these kind of layers. And so for me, I'm kind of, that's right. Um, I might be in the, like the techno utopian. That's probably like the uh, church, new church that I'm the most part yes. of or something, you know? Um, and maybe well, I want to go. I, I want to build on that because I think you're exactly right because those small groups should not live in isolation, right? Yeah. The, they need to understand themselves as part of something bigger. And the, the something bigger might be communicated, for example, through a podcast, right? Or it might be through a, a festival that everyone goes to once a year. Hello, something like Burning Man, exactly. right? So you, 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 you see how those structures kind of already exist um, because a, a small group by itself will feel like, we're only five people, like, what is this going to do? But if I know that there are hundreds of other small groups out there, I can actually still feel part of something bigger than myself, which is an absolutely essential piece, I think, of what religious life is about. Yeah. So let's let's dive in on that for a second, because, yeah, we're, we're definitely hitting on the same thing. And I think, you know, Burning Man's like the easiest, like, oh, you're in the techno utopian, right. whatever. Like, But then for something like, 
maybe like social justice activism or for yes. these other kinds of new religions? Like, is it like something like a women's march, you know, or something like, I don't like, how do you think about those bigger events that are like Burning Man, but for these other kind of new age things? I love that question. I think you're totally right to point to social justice movements as being one place where people feel that. Um, Fandom is another place that I would look, and and I'm familiar, of course, with the Harry Potter fandom. um, (laughs) Maybe a little too familiar to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely having been part of it. But, you know, the the way in which people are generative in these spaces, I think, is one way that you can look in terms of how meaningful it is for them. So are people writing fan fiction? Are they creating YouTube series? Are they making art? Are they talking about it and and creating new things based on the the shared experience? Um, Right. Whether that's in fashion, whether it's in poetry, like it it doesn't matter what the medium is. Um, But there, there are other things like, for example, people who are part of gyms who then participate in a CrossFit um, Olympics or a a CrossFit uh, uh, kind of annual competition or people who run Spartan races or um, right. People who attend conventions around drag. There are so many ways I think in, in which people who might feel like they're a small part of the puzzle can then feel part of something bigger. It, it happens in these spaces. And it's not that each of these things that I've mentioned is a religion, but I think you can see religious elements to a greater and lesser degree across all of them. Um, and, and that's another kind of key shift, I think, of how we think about religion is, you know, we, we, we are, we're a culture to, let me say that differently, we're a cuspin we're accustomed to thinking about religion as this one category of like, okay, you're a reformed Jewish, you go to this synagogue, these are the rituals you have, this is the family tradition that you have, and it all fits in this one box. And I think more and more, things are becoming kind of unbundled. So you might have been raised in a multi-faith home. You might live in a neighborhood that's and, and have friends that come from many different traditions. You might have nothing, but you've taken up yoga and meditation, and now you have a little something. So we're mixing together more and more pieces of a spiritual or religious puzzle. And so we can't look in any single place and be like, this is where religion is happening. But it's more like a layer of experience that goes across all different parts of our lives. I I think that's one way in which we can kind of shift how we think about what religion is and where it's happening. Yeah, I I love I love it. Uh, Thinking about it as a layer, I think is good. And I think a way that I all often think about it too, I think is, um, it also kind of reminds me of this like networked individualism where we're yes. all kind of individuals, but we're also like part of this network. We can see the other folks. And I think you That's just hit right. on a lot of the bigger kind of, you know, with, with some of these other things, like going to these bigger, tough mudder races or whatever, there's always like having the levels is really important for folks. Do you think, I mean, one thing that makes me think about is like, as we're wrestling with this idea of like, what is a religion? Like, how should we think about it in comparison to these other kind of mm. collective shared orders. Um, so yeah. something like a, a, a company or something like a, a market or like a nation state. It's like these things all provide us, you know, as communities of people with meaning and community and, you know, can meet some of our basic needs or whatever sometimes. So like how how should we be thinking about religion yeah. compared to those things? Is it competing with them or yeah, how do you think about that? Well, now you're venturing into a fiercely contested sociological conversation. <laughs> oh, I didn't because... even, I wasn't even aware. I, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, in a good way, in the sense that, you know, scholars of religion have this conversation always, which is, well, what is religion? Yeah. Um, like, what, what counts? What doesn't? What are the boundaries of it? What, you know, do you have to believe in God for you to be religious? Um, so many of our assumptions, certainly in popular culture, come from a very, 
Christianity-oriented worldview, right? And and not just Christian, but really Protestant. The idea that, you know, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's what makes you religious or not, right? That, it's a very simplistic understanding of belief being the cornerstone of, of, of religion. Well, if you look at Judaism or, or many traditions outside of Christianity, what, what actually often really gives someone a sense of identity is the practices that they have. What are the rituals? Do you, you know, do you venerate elders? Do you keep the Sabbath? Do you eat a certain diet? Do you travel to a certain place at a certain time of year, right? Do you keep the commandments? Um, do you speak a certain language? There's, there's all sorts of other ways beyond just belief that, that's important in religion. That was a bit of a preamble, but all of that is to say that um, there's different answers to your question. For some people, uh, you know, the, the fact Paul Tillich, for example, a great theologian in the 20th century said that what makes something religious is if it concerns itself with ultimate meaning and value. Mm -hmm. So if you're just here to earn money, right? If you're a corporation and your bottom line is the finances, you want to get rich, like that's not concerning itself with ultimate meaning and value. I think we can all agree on that. Now, it gets a little more interesting if you are a WeWork or a Facebook and you're like, well, we, we have this big lofty mission. I mean, we can all see very quickly that they're falling short of it. So that's a different conversation. But, but the lines become much harder to say exactly what is where, especially when people start talking in a language, which is about we're all on this joint mission, and this is the culture that we believe in, and these are the rituals that we do. And suddenly you're like, well, where is the boundary of corporation? Where's the boundary of religion, right? Where's the boundary of fan community where's the boundary of religion and and i don't think there is a strict boundary i i think to some extent what you can ask yourself is what do i want from this um and and that maybe is the most helpful kind of internal measure like mm. am I, is this the place where i go and think about ethical concerns mm. you know in our research while we were at the divinity school of students i was looking at um with my colleague angie thurston at how fitness communities especially were not just places where people were going to work out but like they would bring a question like, my mother has cancer, what should I do? Should I move home? Um, they would bring that to their fitness instructor. You know, they would text their soul cycle instructor, should I divorce my husband? Mm -hmm. You know, and here's a 23 year old woman who's great at fitness and like <laughs> being emotional in front of people on a bike, but like she's not being trained in pastoral care and counseling, yeah. right? But nonetheless, people are bringing those questions to these spaces. And so for me, that's when it becomes kind of religious mm -hmm. yeah no i love i kind of love that reframe too because it's like okay there's the institutions themselves but then there's really and again it goes back to like the networked individualism piece like what are you looking for what needs right. are you looking to get met and you're like okay you know from and I, it reminds me of a friend on on twitter who wrote recently that like she gets her um needs for like uh she, she has a community where she and these are all just like random discord communities you know but it's like Love it. here's the yes. community that she does her value stuff with bentoism here's That's the community right. that she does her work stuff with on deck here's the and so she just has these kind of and she knows what she wants out of each of them um so i think that that's a i think that that's a good way to frame it reese i want to i I want to meet your friend because one of my biggest questions that I don't know the answer to is how are we going to organize it? And I mm -hmm. love that you point to Discord because I think new technology is a part of the picture, which is like, okay, so if everything is like remixed and unbundled and you're having to navigate eight different places for the eight different parts of your life that you want to tend to, what's going to hold that all together? Because as everything becomes more personalized, we also get more and more like uniquely situated, right? Who else is going to have those specific eight communities as their eight communities? 
no one. And so I think there's an element of feeling kind of cosmically alone, even though we're meeting something more and more specifically ours Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so I think one of the things we're looking for as a culture is like, what what are the new organizing principles around which we can we can negotiate those eight different parts of your life. And maybe the answer is Discord. <laughs> yeah, and we're here. This has all been a preamble and we're trying to sell you on Discord. It's a new, you know, yeah, that's what I know. It is. I agree with you. I think it's a tough. Um, and I actually want to highlight once. Well, there's, there's, there's two pieces of that one is the like, hmm. what is the underlying uh, coordination technologies that we yes. will have available to us um, to organize both religions, but also other kinds of things, you know? That's and right. I think um, that's an outstanding question, but lots of these online forums or online message boards or, or what reddits and, and also messaging communities like discord are, are part of that. Um, I also think, and the kind of bigger spaces like Twitter and being part of like a hashtag, I don't know, you might be part of yeah. like the, you know, future of religion hashtag or whatever. Um, yeah. I also, one thing, though, I want to dive in on there for a second is you said you might feel cosmically alone. And I think that that is – and it kind of goes to your definition, too, of like religions. It's like these big questions. Maybe a religion is a thing that deals with a big question. And it makes mm. me think about you know, it, uh, your book, The Power of the Power of Habit. Uh, the Power the of power Ritual. The Power of Ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, both the ritual that you do every day and for me, you know, some of these like meditation things where you can kind of go deep yeah. and, and – and be interaction with you know a presentist self and with these anti-fragile attractors that are like can keep mm. you kind of um interested in them for a long time or whatever but there's also what they don't do is they don't have an answer to the question of like what it all mm-hmm. means and like and for me mm-hmm. personally the answer is like this egoistic not egoist um optimistic nihilist perspective which says nothing it means nothing <laughs> um, mm. and the meaning that you get out of it is just in the day-to-day experience um mm. and so i don't know it just makes me think about like it also is like, I know this is kind of a ramble now, but something that um, the old, quote unquote, older religions have, something like Christianity, it has an answer to the question of death. And like, it says, hey, you're going to have an afterlife or whatever. And I think a lot of these new religions, like something like, you know, techno-utopianism says like, oh, you'll be able to make a long life or something like social justice. Like you'll be in the memories of, of people, you know, going forward. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know how new religions are going to answer this question of cosmic aloneness and, and the meaning of yeah. it all. What do you think about that? I'm so glad we're in conversation. That's a beautiful question. Um, well, t- I'll tell you what I think slash want, and then let's talk about what, what we see happening. Cool. Um, I think one of the most uh, honest ways in which I would want to structure a future of religion is that it doesn't center answers, but it centers questions. Mm-hmm. And that it, 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 what it does is help you ask the question better. So for example, I've really shifted how I think about scripture, right? About sacred texts, that it isn't a place that gives you answers, but it's a place that you can go for good conversation about the question, because it's it's a description of someone else's experience that you can use as a mirror for your own and say, hey, what resonates here? What's clarified? What's challenged, right? What did I assume that is, is not assumed here? Gosh, I hadn't thought about that. And that's what good preaching does is it helps us read a scripture differently. Like it helps us find new insight. Um, Because I think one of the foundational mismatches between our culture, which is inherently skeptical of hierarchy and authority, that as soon as you come in and you're like, okay, I'm a bishop, so I'm going to tell you what I think, or like, I'm the Pope and this is the answer. It's like, if I was like, no, (laughs) like who who gave you that right? Right. And, And rightly so, frankly, because those power structures are so embedded within patriarchy and sexism and everything else. Um, 
so uh, that would be my first kind of salvo is to say, let's center questions, but not just be like, oh, you, you, you have to figure this out on your own. Let's resource you with community and with, with ancient wisdom and contemporary insight from new science and technology that will help us, you know, just, just grapple with that question better. Um, I think in terms of how, uh, you know, the, 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 the assumption that a lot of uh, religious institutions might be coming in with is um, is that they that they will lose something inherent about who they are if they let go of of some of the the traditions or the certainties. But I also I don't want to paint I don't want to paint too negative a picture because healthy religion has always said that faith is not the opposite of doubt, uh, right? It's not certainty. It's it's actually making space for for the questions, making space for doubt. So I I, I don't want to do a disservice to these traditions at their best, um, but it's but it's more frightening, right? Like if you're looking for security, sometimes what you're looking for is answers, and and there's definitely people who will be willing to give them to you, but they might not always have your best interests at heart. Honestly, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think and I like I like your phrasing there of like religions in the future centering on questions not answers um and and yeah just being in relationship to those questions and what that means mm-hmm. and and what you've said about like you know the you know religions at their best give a sense of um yeah this kind of yeah like being in yeah just like yeah being in relationship to a question and not providing the mm-hmm. we want the security and the certainty but it's like um you know to be able to provide this like you know, open-ended question thing seems better how though i guess i'm curious just in your life how do you mm-hmm. think about you know the the big question or the cosmic importance and like the connection to the afterlife or non-afterlife like how are you trying to yeah. solve that in your own life yeah i mean this is the the reality of human psychology is that i want different things at different times right <laughs> like there are, there are moments when i want to be comforted and where i want a certainty or a stability of an answer and then there are moments where i ridicule that and actually i want openness and unknowingness and then there are moments where i just want um you know you mentioned optimistic nihilism maybe i'll just go towards a full-on nihilism where it's like nothing matters all i'm doing is mario kart you know um and so um it i i guess the honest answer is it changes and and i think that is just fine i don't i don't need to land somewhere i think part of the beauty of life is that is the willingness to change and to to you know hear about someone's experience of like feeling the presence of their mother who had died 10 years ago as they're baking something and be like, I wonder what that really is about. You know, what does that mean? I don't think there's like a ghostly mother figure behind her as she's baking, but like there's something real going on here, even if it's just in her head mm-hmm. and to quote Dumbledore, you know, just cause it's going, in your, going on in your head doesn't mean it's not real. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just throwing questions back at you because I don't have a, I don't have a, a concrete answer, but I'll tell you this, that, going to divinity school and feeling like I could ask these questions and learning better how to do it has made me a happier, better person. And ultimately maybe that's the one, you know, like finite thing that I can point to is like, how do we live our lives? Right. Are we, are we just and merciful? Are we kind and generous? Are we forgiving? Are we an asshole? And no doubt we (laughs) both of those things. But I, I, I hope that by engaging with those questions faithfully, you can see the outcome you know and how we live totally no i like that i think that there's 
Yeah, but it's also interesting just to hear your own. And I think for me, it, it, it can change day to day too. And it's like, I think it's just a funny, or when I think about it, like, and, and <laughs> if I put on my like, oh, it would be better if the world had um <laughs> had more, you know, indivi- if everybody went to Burning Man, you know, if I put on that hat, I actually, I've only yeah. been to Burning Man once, but like, it, then one thing that I think that the like new religions need to solve is like the questions around the afterlife. And so I just think to like share mm. the people who are in these like, you know, post-religion religions are kind of, their answers to the afterlife, I think are kind of crucial um for, for like quote unquote convincing folks or whatever. Um it, can I can yeah. I ask you about what what that looks like in a kind of techno utopian worldview? You mentioned the kind of the promise of a longer life. Yeah. If if I put on my critical glasses, what I see what I see is a, um, a fear of death and a, and and a sense of being like beaten by life, and that somehow my you know masculine strength has been undermined by the frailty of humanity you know so i i can i can give you a whole spiel about how this is really a, a fear-based thing and i think i think that's only half the story because but i want to hear you talk about what's the other half like what's the beautiful wish in this like what 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 can i learn from that kind of vision about about the future yeah no i love that i think it's uh and thank you for the the curious question i think it's and let me say that i'm like I, I'm maybe I'd call myself like 30% techno utopian or something. Yeah. So maybe I'm not. I love it. Um, that sounds like a healthy mixture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You got to have a little bit of it, but not too much. Well, I think it's funny because I think it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it's a classic thing where it's like in, you know, I live in San Francisco and, you know, hang out with a lot of like, you know, VC types and, and tech founders. And I think that stuff is really good. Um, and also it, um, yeah, you can really see people being pulled towards these, intense meaning and purpose things and like the two key ones are just like you know elon musk and you know space travel making humanity a space traveling situ a spacefaring civilization that is it it both is um it it has some truth to it which is cool and should we should be pulled towards it and it's like the amount of weight that it pulls might be you know too much because it has this like crazy good purpose and meaning um meter you know mm-hmm. um and so i think there's that side and the other side is like yeah the longevity movement which are i think your skepticism is all right which is that these folks are you know the the that people ain't nobody want to die you know at least not at you know 86 or whatever yeah. and so like trying to live longer and people will paint the like positive side is is that um what people want to do is they just want to do better science and they just want to make sure that like we have, you know, you know, uh, 200 years ago, half of kids died before the age of five right That's now, right. It's, you know, less than 5%. So like, this is, we're so excited about this. Like how Amazing. can we do that as well? But for like, you know, our own, like more lives, you know, like just make it so that like more people can live longer and make it a choice or whatever. So I think, I think there yeah. is a lot of um, goodness and, and truth there. And I also think it does, it has this mm. kind of, weird pseudo-spiritual pseudo-religious thing that pulls people towards it does that answer your question or yeah no it makes sense and i think it 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 speaks to this wonderful paradox of um you know so so much of the energy that you're describing is one of progress right we want to do better we want to advance in science and we want to live longer and we want you know the curve is going up and to the right like that's 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 the future that we want to be in and that is part of, I think, in so many different spiritual and religious traditions, right? That sense of growing in virtue or, um, you know, b- becoming more faithful or whatever it is, right? So that that echoes. I think the bit that's missing for me, and the thing that I find hardest as well, is that 
it's the willingness or the ability to just be present to suffering mm. and to, because the world is beautiful and exciting mm. and it's also awful and painful. And, and I guess what I'm always looking for in a community or in a movement is like, does it have both of those things? Mm. Um, because th yeah, that's where you have courage and humility. You have vision and the okayness with what is. And you know, th those, those people who can do that. Like they're the real, you know, visionary masters of, I don't know. I, totally. I, I struggle with that a lot. Like, I, I love... don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be near pain. Who wants to be near pain? <laughs> yeah. Pain sucks. No. It's like, yeah. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think I love, I love what you said there, which is that, and I think it's true, which is, you know, this constant focus on uh, positive sum dynamics and on, you know, That's like, right. you know, pushing forward and, and all stuff. And it's like, okay, that is good. And also like, let's just like sit for a second in the pain of others, like really empathize yeah. with or understand this. Um, and so I think, and the, the way that maybe folks would answer, like there's this, and maybe I'll share this with you afterwards, there's this great Our World yeah. in Data post about it, which says three things, um, but it's a very quantitative answer to your question, you know, and huh. it's, um, one of them says, uh, the world used to be really bad, you know, half of kids used to die before the age of five. The world yeah. is so much better, only 5% died before the age of five now, and um, the world could still be so much better, you know, if yes. the, in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa or whatever, if they had the same percentage died before the age of five as, you know, Western Europe, then X yes. amount of kids would, you know, would die less per year or whatever. So it's like, it's kind of answering your question, which is like, oh, there is sadness. Yeah. Um, but it's answering it in like a very quantitative way. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes so much sense to me. And of course I'm thinking about, so we, great, we've got the quant side, now, what about the qual side? Yeah. Like, what is the experience of life, right? Like, you can live to your 190, but, like, are those last 100 years enjoyable, uh, right? Like, what's the world that we live in? What's equity like? What's access to, you know, different resources like? There's so many ways of thinking about that question. But I'm suddenly reminded, actually, of um, a very kind of prototypical, uh, a very typical um kind of faith journey for young people who become very evangelical in, in evangelical Christianity, where, you know, in the early teens, they'll have an experience or they'll become part of a community, which is amazing. And it, it really feels like they're on that train, right? Like going up, everything's improving. Um, and it's really clear about what you need to do and what you, not, what you don't need to do. And, and quite frequently, something in life will happen that does not fit with that community's values or theology. So someone's, um, you know, sibling comes out as trans, someone's best friend kills themselves. Maybe they themselves have, have something that doesn't fit with the, the story of the community. And then you see people's understanding of the world change. And so I guess that's another piece of the puzzle for me is for, for folks who are really excited about that kind of techno utopian vision is like, well, let's see who's here and who's not here. What life experiences are part of this conversation and, and what isn't. Because if it if if we're not if we're not fully speaking to a broad and you, and I don't want to say universal but 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 at least a broader segment of 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 life then I, I become hesitant about what the vision is um, and that's not to undermine everyone's specificity it's just like what's what's the whole right we're, we're seeing part of it but what's the whole totally now I'm just preaching so I apologize no no you're good no but I think it's, I think it's interesting too because I think there's like a side of it, which is that, you know, the techno utopian vision in some ways is super universal. It's super scale, you know, it's like, yes. let's make sure that yes. we reach a billion users or whatever. And so there's like, yeah, but, but, but while doing that, you turn everything into an API and not an actual human. Right. And so, yeah, I think it's just right. like a balance and what this all makes me think about. And, and, and I think we're doing it to some extent in this conversation, but like, 
and you and people do this with like oh let's like have the left and the right chat with each other let's have you know the yeah, yeah, atheist yeah. and the religion chat with each other and i think like another version of that is like how can the social justice activists chat with the techno utopianists or whatever and it makes me think yeah. about there's this great essay by this woman renee deresta which is about um mediating consent and it's how back in the day mm. like you were talking about how um we had you know the protestant form of religion and it was kind of like push top down and it was yes. um it went through you know the the newspapers and tv and whatever like that's what we got and now we have this bottom-up networked individualism and we have that's these right. new remixed you know intuitional religions that are a part of that um and so it's like how can we still mediate between these communities all these communities that you were talking about the discord and whatever how can we actually like yeah and how can they interact with each other in an actual positive way instead of like what uh, it's of dunking on each other on the internet you know that I mean, that is a real question to figure out. I I, I want to read this paper, um, and it it makes so much sense that we are in a time of um, Joan Chittister, who's who's a Benedictine nun, um, and I'll just take a slight step to the side to explain why I want to share this quote. Um, you know, there used to be like hundreds of thousands of Catholic nuns in America. They set up hospitals, school systems, all sorts of things. At this point, there's less than 40,000 and the average age is like 79 or something. So this particular expression of religious life is coming to an end, right? The people who run those organizations fully understand that. They've, they've grieved for it and they've let go of what it was. And now we're very excited about what might come next, not for them, but for, for, for their tradition. So I, I love that. And, and Joan Chittister is one of these, these, these sisters, these nuns, and she says that the future of religious life, at least for the next couple of decades, is going to be a story of coming and going. That, that actually trying to build some solid institution now is fundamentally boneheaded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's just, it's, it's not going to make sense. And so we're kind of in this in-between time um, of, of journeying together. And the question is, how, how will we be on the journey? And so maybe what you're pointing to is like, yeah, it can be exhausting talking across, you know, these very different communities of like tech utopias and social justice advocates. And, um, but is, you know, can, can we intentionally find a few friends to learn from and walk with, or, um, you know, can, can we learn something beyond our own context, knowing that actually no one has the answer at this point. Like it just does not exist. Yeah. Um, I also don't want to paint a false parallel of like, let's just all get along better and find something <laughs> totally, new, totally. which I'm at risk of doing. But um, I, I just, I find it very helpful as someone who cares so much about this question that like, I am not going to start <laughs> like the next institution, right? Like mm -hmm. that's just folly to try and want to do that. Um, and, but what I can do is, is have conversations, you know, from which I learn and, and we hopefully find something new. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a good directional approach for, for us to take going forward. Do you think that there's, are you seeing, by the way, any, like we chat about some of the bigger ones, these like new, bigger yeah. religions. Are there any, and especially like maybe at like, I don't know if you like see, do you, do you know of any like, you know, weird new experiments that are happening or weird new like startup religions or like anything through the sacred design lab that's like happening on the ground that like may not be big now, but will be big in 10 years or something? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say there's a lot of people who, I mean, I'm sure you've been in 800 conversations of should we start a commune? Um, <laughs> Currently living <laughs> in one, you know? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay, great. <laughs> so like, I, I think there's a lot of people intentionally cultivating a different way of life from what the dominant expectations are within society. I think 99% of them would not describe themselves as, as a new religion per se, and I, that's probably healthy. Um, but what I am really interested in are 
what are models of new relational commitments that are being made? And to make that real, for example, one of my favorite organizations is Thread in Baltimore, Maryland, um, which uh, on the surface is about supporting young people um, going through education. So the, the purpose of the, of the nonprofit is to help young people who are at risk of dropping out of, of, of middle and high school uh, to make it through graduation and into college. But the way that they do that is really interesting. They have three to four adult volunteers usually people who are newer to Baltimore. So they have higher incomes, higher levels of education, but lower levels of connection to the community and lower levels of, of feel, feeling like their life is meaningful. They get those that group of people together and uh, surround one child and the strategy is love. They have to spend at least one hour a week with them, with the kid in person. They have to do for this child everything that they would do for their own child. So sure, you can help tutor math homework. You can, you know, uh, do other things that you would expect to see with reading and writing and whatever else. But you're also going to drive them to get the prom dress because they need a ride to get to the mall. You're also going to do A, B, and C, everything that you would do for your own kid, have them over for dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is that over those years, the relationships that have been committed to become part of someone's kind of essential framework of being part of the city, being part of the neighborhood, feeling connected across generations. And what, what I love about this organization, they don't just measure how many kids make it through high school and into college. They measure what it feels like emotionally for the volunteers who are part of it. Mm. So there, there's this multi-level kind of measurement system where they're able to see like this has changed the lives of all of these people. And so again, they would never use religious language. But when I think about the best of what congregational life was, People felt part of something beyond themselves, which asked things of them that they would not necessarily want to do, right? Like, yeah. that's part, we talk so much about like community is amazing. Community is also terrible <laughs> because like you have to do shit you don't want to do. Um, and, Someone's and got to clean just, up, yeah. Seriously, yes. yeah. yeah. And so I love, I love that this model, it basically helps people allow themselves to be asked things that are hard mm -hmm. um, and it makes everyone better. So th those are some of the kind of things that I look at and I'm like, there's something here that could really, right? And it's got that same small group model. So you can see some of the themes of, of the things that I, I really believe in. That's that's one example I get yeah, very excited no, about. I like that. I think it, um, and it makes me think about something that I actually wanted to hit on earlier, which is you talked about these like commitments um, that you have yeah. within community. And it makes me think of, again, as we think from the like quote unquote old religions, to these weird new religions, the kinds of, you know, like old religions had like the 10 commandments, you know, like that's, that's a right. legit thing. It's like, don't, don't steal. Don't like kill yep. your neighbor. You know, it's like, those are good things. And those were like actually very helpful to like create interpersonal trust between people. Yes. Um, yes. When you think about something that is sad these days, like everybody's talking about like, and rights were good. Like the fact that we got rights is good. Like the bill of rights yes. is good. But also like, what about duties? Like what about our duties yes. to each other? And so how yes. do you think about like a distributed bill of duties? Like what would you, if you could put three yes. or five things on that, what would your, you know, three to five things be? Well, I'm going to avoid your question yes. by offering a different a different vision, but I love that those two things go together and you're absolutely right. One of the, and, and the, the C word we're most familiar with in a religious context is commandments, exactly as you said. The other tradition that I'm really passionate about is covenant. <clears throat> um, covenant, you know, the first covenant. That, what is that? What does that even mean? I don't even know. Yeah, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> it's a great question. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the story of Noah, um, originally we encounter it as this agreement between God and Noah that, you know, Noah will fulfill uh, the commandments 
and God will God will keep God's promise, right, of not destroying humanity again. That, that's a prototypical kind of early example. But in later religious communities, what covenant became was a way of agreeing, not necessarily on what we're going to do, because the world is uncertain, but an agreement on how we are going to be together. And so I, I love covenant because built into the model of jointly saying, well, what's important to us? Okay, I really need to hear... Um, you know, uh, I, I and not just like you know, bunch of paper agreements at the beginning of a workshop of like let's not interrupt each other and like, <laughs> but like a deeper a deeper level of engagement about what really matters to our, to each of us and how we want to be together. Built into the model of covenant is not just the agreements that we make up front, but is a process in which we engage those agreements. Mm. So, for example, in my team at Sacred Design Lab, there's three of us. So it's a small small enough team that we do this every single week. We read out loud our covenant, the agreements of how we're going to be together. And then we talk about it for 10 to 15 minutes of where did we fulfill our promise to one another? Where, what can we celebrate? And where did we fall short? What what do we need to pay attention to next time? Um, and and it is it, it the covenant works itself on us because it, it has shaped how we not only are with each other, but how we are in the world, because we've got this set of uh, commitments and this, the structure of support and accountability to help us live that out. So I think one of the, the major challenges with a kind of commandment model is, first of all, that if you break the commandment, like you are out. Yeah. And with covenant, the job of the covenant is to expect that we're going to fall short. We're going to screw it up. That's part of who we are as human beings, right? And so how do we repair that that becomes a crucial part of the process is that we we have to find our way back to each other um now there are of course limits to that but at the same time you know there are incredible stories of forgiveness and and and, and repair that that inspire me at least so uh, when i think about what are the ways in which we're going to hold one another like what's the what's that structure of rights and responsibilities i think covenant is is an extremely powerful thing um, one of the things that scares me is how do you do that at scale? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is 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 there a is there a, a size at which you can do that? And beyond that, it's it's too big, and we have to go into a simple kind of rules oriented uh-huh. context. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know. It's interesting because I think if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, the way I hear the difference between like a, a commandment or a duty to each other is like the duty is hey here are these things and, like don't break them you know like these are the rules and, like yeah. you point at them like you broke rule seven versus a covenant which is like hey we've all kind of co-agreed on these co-created yeah. things and like we're gonna see what our relationship to them is and it, is that kind of the main difference yeah and, and maybe one thing one thing i didn't say very clearly at all was that you know in a traditional biblical context the commandments came from god mm. and if you pissed off god you're in trouble right mm. like that whole worldview was built around an authority figure mm. who could decide if you went to heaven or hell mm. and if you really believe that boy is that scary mm. right like it's a social control mechanism that has power now i'm assuming in your social world and in mine that does not have a lot of power right mm. like that assumption of a god on high who's sitting in a judgment seat when we die no it doesn't work and so we're those those commandments don't have power over us and so covenant is really an alternative in the sense that it's a, a, a an agreement of mutual assent right that that we are we are explicitly saying yes to this set of agreements and therefore we feel responsible to the agreements because we were part of creating or, or consenting to them um 
Beautiful. Yeah, no, that, that's very helpful. I think, yeah, right? that the, the commandments come from an authority figure or God. And if you, yeah, and if you break them, bad, bad, bad things versus, hey, we've like, yeah, we've, we've co-agreed in this bottom up thing. I do think, right. um, as you know, I, I just think that the, how would I say, I do think long, I think covenant as a, as a good, hmm. Yeah, it's like this balance between the 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 messy and the qualitative yeah. versus the kind of rules based laws or code yeah. that are these things yeah. that get that can do the social control at a macro macro scale. And so I don't know. I think it'll be um, interesting to see what kinds of uh, you know the bill of of duties or distributed duties or, or covenants you know look like for yeah. folks. I think that'll be really interesting. Um, it makes. I mean, look at look at what happened at Basecamp this month, right? Like that was an organization that had started maybe with a commandment culture had moved with dominant culture to, to, to question some of that. And it was becoming more peer-to-peer mediated. There were committees. And the, the people who had power were feeling their power undermined and wanted to reclaim it. And a third of the company resigned. And so you, I think that's where you can see that kind of two different ways of thinking about how this might work at play in a really concrete way. Totally, totally. Yeah, I like that. Um, as we get into pseudo-rap mode here, I want to ask one other question, which is I think yeah. there's... So, or I guess, or I'm, or I'm asking one other question, then we'll go to this, the final section. But, but this question is like, so we've chatted today a lot about the kind of like, what's, what's new, you know, like what's happening, yeah. what's the haps with the new stuff um, versus the kind of, there's the, the downtrend of the old cycle. And this is, you know, the, yes. the um, poll recently about, you know, 47% of Americans um, go to an organized uh, church or mosque or synagogue. That's and that's right. the lowest it's ever, it's the first time under 50%. And I guess my question is like, how do you think about the impacts of that side of things? And I'm, yeah, yeah, what for folks who are like either losing that or who are moving away, what's what's happening over there? Yeah, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, there's pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm always very clear as a gay man of the benefits that that you know certain oppressive forms of religion having less cultural power have had for me, literally in my life, and at the same time, um, many of the kind of relational infrastructure, right? What, 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 what structures existed in people's lives that held them in community are declining. It's congregations, but it's also, also things like the Lions and the Elks Club. It's the, uh, you know, PTA involvement, right? There's many, many things, those kind of community level organizations that are in decline in part because women are, are in the paid workforce so that these organizations couldn't depend on free labor of, of women, um, right? So there's, there's structural reasons why this is the case. Um, beyond just the individual cultural changes. But it has meant, I think, that we are encountering people who we wouldn't choose to encounter less frequently. Um, at its most beautiful, congregational life can mean that the you know head of the union is sitting next to the head of the, the you know the, the owner of the of the factory and that they are worshiping together to something bigger than themselves and that that changes the dynamic of then the negotiations on a monday morning that's an idealized picture but 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 it holds some truth and when we are only associating with people we we choose to associate with though we may feel safer though we may feel more comfortable we also lose an element of, of what it means to live in society. And so I think the political polarization that you're seeing, I think the growth in the rates of loneliness and social isolation that you're seeing, I think those are absolutely connected to the decline of institutional religion. Um, maybe even this idea of, you know, politics is religion without transcendence. Some of the intensity of the identity of Republicans versus Democrats, or even, you know, within the parties, uh, I, I think that's not unrelated. Um, yeah. 
But again, this is not the first time it's happened. You know, uh, uh, we, we, religion has, it, it's not a static thing. It's always evolving and it's shaped by new technologies and the state of the economy and in turn shapes them. So I, I don't want to paint this as something um, completely unique, although of course it is <laughs> just in terms of like the actual new technologies that exist. Um, but it, religion will change and it will mold and it will in turn shape how, how we experience the world. Yeah, I like that. I think... Yeah, and I think that what you're saying is is a to remember the old stuff. And I think that's just like reading stuff is so helpful for that. You're like, oh wow, like these right. things happen in the eighteen hundreds isn't even that long ago. So it's like you can even look that's deeper right. than that. And so, um, reminding ourselves of that I think is crucial. And I think what you said is true, which is like, yeah, the how to how to get folks. And this is back to the mediating consent question and like how to like get folks back into a civil digital civil society, you know, and in, in digital public yeah. spaces. Like how how can we do that? Um, that's that's up for debate. Um. One final question here. We're going to do one overrated, underrated, which is great. Do you think that um, uh, the phrase God is dead uh, and science slowly dismantling religion or whatever, do you think that's overrated or underrated? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm going to say overrated. <laughs> um, I, th I think all you need to do is walk into a hospital waiting room or look at how someone feels when they're on an ayahuasca journey or you know like god is alive in so many different places if we think about what god is much more creatively than i think like i'm glad the god of the old man in the sky is dead like long live that death um, <laughs> but i think god as god actually is 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 very much alive yeah i love that yeah so like the god capital t capital g god is dead but like godliness right. or whatever is is alive and alive and well um beautiful nice. well casper thank you for the for the conversation today it was, it was fun i think that i'll be curious to see uh what you all continue to do with you know understanding the future of meaning and spirituality are there places where folks can check you out on the interwebs or what what any call to actions for folks yeah, for sure. Check out Sacred Design Lab, which is sacred.design. Um, and uh, I've got a couple of podcasts where we talk about things like this. There's Harry Potter and the Sacred Text uh, and The Real Question, uh, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want random things on Twitter from me, I'm at Casper TK. Boom, beautiful. And is there anything, if you, uh, any, any, as like a non, anything that you would recommend to our listeners as they think about their own journeys with meaning into the new world, any kind of slight bit of, uh, you know, a, a one sentence recommendation or something? <laughs> I think we can trust our longings. That if we want to feel part of something bigger, closer to people we care about, closer to our own integrity that that wherever those longings take you that they're trustworthy i love that as me as a super mental person it was always like do the thing make the spreadsheet or whatever and then like i learned when i was like 25 <laughs> really like, trust your gut man like that's it's pretty much yeah. right every time uh, beautiful casper yeah. thank you for your conversation thank you for listening folks and see you next time goodbye goodbye <laughs>